0: Hello and welcome to the Peachy Books podcast. I'm Roy Peachy and today I've got a special welcome for everybody who's joining the Sophia programme, Ancient Wisdom and the Modern World in Conversation. We've got something new for you today, a story, a Sophia story. I'm not going to do too much by the way of introduction, I'm going to let the story speak for itself, but all I'll say is that there are some big ideas here presented, I hope, in an accessible way. So here we are, Smashing Time. Rushing through the city, I tripped over an old tramp. He was propped up against a bin and his legs were stretched out across the pavement. Watch it, I shouted, glancing back over my shoulder, but the tramp said nothing. It was his silence that stopped me. I had a meeting to get to and I was late, but the old man's silent reproach prevented me from taking another step. As I walked back to see whether he was all right, I looked at him for the first time. Everything about him was small, apart from his beard, which was enormous, and his hat, which was several sizes too big for him. It tipped forward over his face, covering his darkly tanned forehead and partly obscuring his eyes. As I drew close, he tipped his head and hat upwards and stared in my direction. I say stared rather than looked, but the truth is that he did neither. Or if he did, he looked without seeing and stared without observing. The man was blind. "'I didn't see you there,' I muttered by way of apology. The man considered me for a minute before answering. "'I didn't see you either,' he said quietly. Awkwardly, I kicked my shoe against the ground. "'No, I see that now,' I said. The man said nothing. "'So what do you want?' I asked. "'Money or food or both?' Still, the man said nothing. More commuters rushed past. A taxi blared its horn. The driver of a white van stuck his head out of the window and swore by way of reply. I dug out my wallet. Look, this is all I've got, I said, thrusting a tenner into the old man's hand. I don't want money, he said. A sandwich, then, or a Big Mac? I don't need food, either, he said. I kicked the ground again. "'I don't have time for this,' I said, more sharply than I had intended. "'The man tipped his head up and began to chuckle. "'I couldn't believe it. The dirty old tramp was laughing at me. "'What's so funny?' I demanded. "'The man looked at me with his unseeing eyes. "'Why don't you sit down and I'll tell you?' he replied. "'I looked around. No one was paying us the slightest bit of attention.' They all had places to go and were intent on getting there as soon as they could. I glanced at my watch. I'd missed my meeting. So, scarcely believing what I was doing, I hitched up my trousers and sat down beside the tramp, my back against the bin. Not so long ago, he said, there was a clockmaker who lived in a rundown flat above his run down workshop in a run down part of the city. Trade was not good. No one wanted handmade clocks anymore. They no longer appreciated fine craftsmanship, but they did sometimes want their watches mended, so the clockmaker wasn't entirely destitute. And he loved his work, even the piecework that was now his staple diet. He loved the precision of his clocks, the delicacy of their mechanics, the effortless simplicity of their action. He loved the roundness of their dials, the loudness of their ticks, and the reverberations they sent through the whole building, when they chimed the hours. Each time the chimes rang out, the clockmaker made a tour of his workshop, checking that none of his timepieces had gained or lost so much as a second. Tapping here, winding there, he would lose himself in the beauty of his creations. At such times, his joy was so deep that he scarcely believed it could increase. Though he did occasionally wish for a little more money with which to pay the bills and a few friends with whom he could share his horological passion. But the clockmaker found neither friends nor fortune. The older he became, the less work he received, and the less work he received, the lonelier he became. For the first time in his long life, he wondered whether he would be able to continue. However, as despair began to creep like mist across his life, work came, and came in abundance. A grumpy businessman brought his watch to be mended. Not so surprising, you might think. But the clockmaker was surprised, because the watch had been smashed to pieces. The glass face had splintered into fragments, the second hand had been bent beyond repair, and the rest of the once expensive watch was now a mass of uncoiled springs, detached levers and jumbled screws. The clockmaker worked all day to restore the watch to order. Not because the businessman had promised to pay well, though he had, but because he hated to see so fine a watch in so wretched a state. The next day, the clockmaker was surprised to see another watch being brought to him in a similar state. The smart, middle-aged lady who handed it over muttered darkly about an unprovoked attack, but the clockmaker was more interested in whether he could restore the watch to its pristine condition. If anything, this watch was even more mangled than the one he had restored the previous day, so he set to work immediately. When he returned the watch to its owner, with a satisfied smile two days later, he had four more watches sitting on his desk, awaiting repair. By the time he had finished repairing them, 64 watches were ready and waiting for his ministrations. The clockmaker's money worries were over, for the time being at least, but the situation was intolerable and clearly could not be allowed to continue. A fortnight after the first ruined watch appeared, clockmaker downed tools, closed his workshop for the day, and set off to discover what on earth was going on. It didn't take him long. The papers, which he rarely read, were full of the news. A banker, a man who should have known better, had gone berserk. He was snatching watches from anyone foolish enough to wear one in his presence, and smashing them in front of their startled eyes, and doing so with great glee by all accounts. The clockmaker was appalled, but also shocked, for he recognised the banker's name. The two men had been firm friends since early childhood, in fact, the clockmaker now sadly recalled, they had been all but inseparable. It was only when each of them chose his respective career that the slow, prising apart had begun. The problem, the clockmaker said one day, is that you now make money by selling money, while I waste time by making time. It's only a problem if you choose to make it a problem, the banker replied. After all, time is money. Clockmaker was too dispirited by this comment to argue back, It would have been pointless anyway, he decided. The banker wouldn't have had time to listen to his argument. He never had time these days. Not for the things that mattered anyway. And so the two had parted company. The banker lost himself in mergers and acquisitions. The clockmaker in escapements and pendula. Their lives no longer intersected at any point. Until now. On seeing the banker's name in print and reading that he was still at large, the clockmaker resolved to track him down. 64 watches that needed to be mended, if it was still only 64, could wait. I would not trouble you with the story of how the clockmaker found his old friend again, but find him he did. He was standing in a dusty backyard and had stripped to the waist. In front of him was a great oak log turned on its end, and in his hands was a sledgehammer. As the clockmaker entered the yard, he saw his old friend place a watch on the log, raise the hammer above his head, and with one dull blow smashed the timepiece into smithereens. Stop, stop, he cried. What are you doing? It was, in many ways, a pointless question, because he could see full well what the banker was doing. The information was not, perhaps, what he was after. The banker gave a start when he saw his old friend. Then he swept the remains of the watch from the log, took another from his pocket, and laid it in its place. I'm smashing time, he said, A broad smile racing across his face. "'You're having a smashing time?' the clockmaker repeated. "'No,' the banker said, slowly raising the sledgehammer above his head once more. "'I'm smashing time.' As he spoke, he brought the full weight of the hammer down on the beautiful old watch. There was nothing his old friend could do, apart from what he actually did, which was to pounce on the pieces and hope that he might be able to restore them to their original dignity.' Then he sat down on the wooden block. This is madness, he said. You can't smash time. On the contrary, my friend, the banker replied. That is precisely what I've been doing. No, no, you haven't, the clockmaker shouted. You've been smashing watches. That's quite a different thing. Banker looked thoughtful for a moment before drawing another watch from his pocket. So you say, but I think differently. What is time after all but a human invention? There is no time without measurement. So if I destroy these cursed devices, time itself would disappear. The clockmaker was growing desperate now. He could see that the watch the banker had thrown to the ground was a particularly fine creation. He had to save it, though the look in the banker's eye suggested that he was quite prepared to bring his sledgehammer down on both watch and clockmaker, should the latter be foolish enough to intervene. Stop! Let me speak, he said in some desperation. That's not what time is at all. The banker lowered his sledgehammer. Then what is it, he asked. If you can tell me that, I'll be forever in your debt, for I have spent far too much time seeking an answer to that question. The clockmaker opened his mouth and then, just as quickly, shut it again. He supposed that he must know what time is, but now that the banker had put him on the spot, he was hard-pressed to give a coherent answer. Stalling for time, he said, of course I know what time is, but before I tell you, You must tell me what brought you to this, to this. But he could not find the words to name the banker's actions either. The banker leant on his sledgehammer and coolly appraised him. It's a deal, he said eventually, before beckoning the clockmaker indoors. This way, my friend, I know my limitations even if you don't know yours. I need a drink. The clockmaker noticed that his old friend poured himself a very generous measure of gin before offering one to his guest. The clockmaker naturally refused. It was, after all, still only mid-morning. The banker didn't seem in the least offended. He threw himself into a leather armchair and started his explanation. It's been many years since we last met, my friend, and I won't hide from you the fact that I have grown very rich. The clockmaker nodded. That much was apparent from the room in which they were sitting. It was only a hired room, but no expense had been spared on the fittings and furnishings. And I deserve the wealth that came my way banker continued. No one has worked harder than I. No one has shown such dedication as I have shown. That is why I've been so richly rewarded. He looked at the clockmaker as though seeking his approval. But the clockmaker was only half listening to these boasts. The other half of his mind was given over to the conundrum the banker had thrown down. What is time? I've had a fine life, the banker went on. Expensive yachts, expensive holidays, luxuries beyond measure including a watch, the price of which would make your mouth water. But there's one thing missing, one luxury that slipped through my fingers, however hard I tried to hang on to it. That's right, my friend. I'm talking about time itself. I never had time. Everything else came to me as easy as winking, but time was an elusive prey. You may not understand what I'm saying, not having had the sort of high-pressure job I've had these last 20 years. But believe you me, I'm telling God's honest truth. The clockmaker nodded gravely. He thought he might just know a thing or two about time, but he could see that the banker was in no mood for listening to any perspective but his own. So, one day, the banker plunged on, I resolved to fight back. I decided to give time a run for its money. First, I thought I could simply ignore it out of existence. I left my fabulously expensive watch at home. I turned the office clock to the wall I smothered the grandfather clock which my predecessor had installed in the vestibule with a cloth, but still I had no time, so I began to take more drastic measures. I reset every clock I could lay my hands on to give me an extra half hour. I sold the grandfather clock and ordered a reset of the office computers so they no longer showed the dead hand of time. But that wasn't enough either, which is why I came up with the notion of smashing time to pieces. First of all, I took only such watches as my employees handed over to me. Then, enraged by an enormous Swiss contraption some client dared to wear during an appointment, I took matters more directly into my own hands. The clockmaker interrupted. You mean you stole it? He said. Indeed I did, the banker replied. And then I smashed it. I hadn't felt that good in years, so I decided there and then that I would keep going until I'd finished the job. But it's madness! The clockmaker butted in. You can't gain time by destroying other people's watches. The banker smiled. Do you really think you're the first to have said that? Of course not. And so I'll tell you what I've told every other fool who tried to stand in my way. Time need not exist. Where was time before the first clocks were created? Where was time before Earth, Moon and Sun were formed from the primeval explosion? Where was time before the Big Bang? The clockmaker began to answer. But the banker cut him off with a sweep of his hand and rapid movement that also sent gin flying across the expensive carpet. I'll tell you, it was nowhere. And what was nothing once can return or be returned to nothingness again. But, the clockmaker stammered, another shower of gin cut him short. And don't start quoting Einstein at me either. Time is relative. If it moves at different speeds in different conditions, then that simply proves my point. Time is an absolute, it's nothing at all. It can be changed, it can be stopped, it can be defeated. The clockmaker was no longer thinking about how he could rescue the banker's stash of stolen watches. He was more concerned with getting out of the room alive. His one-time friend had clearly fallen into a frenzy of his own making, and there was little, if anything, he could do to help him. He looked round for a bolt hole and realised with a sudden jolt of fear that the banker had stopped speaking. He was waiting for an answer. Forcing himself to speak calmly and slowly, the clockmaker tried to shape a reply that would buy him a little time. If he could lull the banker into a calmer state, he might yet be able to escape that terrible room. But Einstein never said that time doesn't exist, he said, hoping that was true. Time still exists, even if it's relative. The banker frowned. But, the clockmaker continued quickly, That could give you the solution you need. If time is quick for me, it could become slow for you. The banker banged his glass onto the table in front of him. Slow be damned, he cried. I want to rid myself of it altogether. The clockmaker gulped. But why? Surely what you really need is more time, not no time. Time is an arid desert that will never be filled, the banker replied. No. I need to be the possessor of time, its lord and vanquisher. The clockmaker gulped again. You're not God, he stammered. This time the banker smashed his glass on the table. God? he thundered. Why would I want to be God? To live forever and ever? To be trapped in time for all eternity? What are you saying, you old fool? The clockmaker dropped to his knees and kept his eyes firmly closed as if that would ward off the impending violence. But, as he waited for the blow to fall, he remembered something he had learnt long ago, a lesson he had not once considered since the day he learnt it. No, no, you've got it all wrong. That's not what eternity's like at all, he said, his voice now dark with emotion. Don't you remember that lesson in the draughty old room by the chapel? What lesson? Banker barked. The clockmaker still had his eyes shut. But he could tell from the banker's voice that he was now standing right over him. The one about the consolation of philosophy, he said quietly. He opened his eyes a crack and saw that the banker had not yet raised a hand. He decided to keep talking. It was a lesson about time, I guess. The end of time. Yes, now that you mention it, I do remember, the banker said. The end of time and the consolation of philosophy and... What was that definition we had to learn? Eternity is the complete possession all at once of illimitable life, the clockmaker said. That's what you want, old friend. Not time drawn out forever, and not time smashed to smithereens either, but the complete possession all at once of illimitable life. For the first time in days, the banker hesitated. But how do I get it? he asked tentatively. If not by smashing time. The clockmaker paused. The whole room seemed to pause. It really did appear as though time itself had fled. Well, that, my friend, is a question I suspect no one can answer on his own. Maybe we should investigate together. Banker sank back into his chair and ran the back of his hand across his brow. The clockmaker got up off his knees. Yes, maybe you're right, the banker said. Maybe that's where I've been going wrong all this time. And then it went silent. It went silent for a long time. I looked round at the old tramp. His eyes were still unseeing, his beard was still out of control, and his head was tilted forward. I wondered if he had fallen asleep. And what happened then? I demanded. Still, the tramp said nothing. Are you listening to me? What happened then? The tramp turned his face towards me. That is for you to discover, not for me to tell, he said at last. What's that supposed to mean? I burst out. It means... The tramp replied slowly, what it says. I thumped the ground in frustration. You've wasted my time with a story, old man, I said, and an incomplete story at that. It wasn't a story, he said quietly. Then what was it, for goodness sake? It was a memory. That floored me, I can tell you. You mean, I stammered. The tramp tipped up his hat and turned his blind eyes towards me once more. He clearly thought he had given answer enough. "'Which one were you?' I asked hesitantly. "'The banker or the clockmaker?' Suddenly the answer to that question seemed very important. I'd missed my meeting. I'd lost an entire morning's work. And I'd almost certainly ruined my suit by sitting on the pavement with my back to an overflowing rubbish bin. The least he could do was tell me who he was. But the old man was in no hurry to answer. It was almost as if silence was his primary answer and words came only as an insignificant afterthought. I tried to stay calm. I tried to be patient. I tried to slow myself to his pace, but I simply couldn't do it. Please, I pleaded. The old man relented, speaking a final time in a voice so quiet that I had to lean in close to listen. And what he said wasn't an answer, but another question unless his question was also an answer. Does it really matter? he asked. And to be honest, I was no longer sure. Thank you for listening. That was the Peachy Books Podcast. I'm Roy Peachy. See you next time.